So we're looking at discipleship at the moment, out of Jesus' command to go and make disciples of every nation and teach people to obey everything that I've taught you. So that's what we're doing in this season as a church. We're finding out what it means for us as a community to learn together to be more like Jesus. But today I just want to talk about something that's a bit more difficult. Uh, We've already had several hints at it the last few weeks, you may have noticed. But we're going to talk about the cost of discipleship today, because the call to discipleship is not cheap. Actually, what I want us to look at today is that there is a cost in following Jesus that we can't ignore. So a few weeks ago, Paul Norris shared a bit of their story, and the clue was in the title. He called it Victory in Defeat. Sometimes that's what it feels like. And then we had our dear friends Kevin and Margaret come and open their hearts to us, sharing a really difficult story for the first time publicly about the loss of their daughter 10 years ago to cancer. And these were there's some hard stories out there. There's some difficult things. There's stories of tears and confusion. There's courage and determination to continue following Jesus in the face of incredible adversity. But it's not easy to hear who found either of those easy to hear. It's not easy to talk about some of these things even because of all of the unanswered questions that are involved and these subjects kind of make us uncomfortable. It's great to hear about the successes and the breakthroughs but much more difficult to hear about the struggles and the failures. Or is it just me? You know, pain and suffering makes us feel uncomfortable, especially when these bad things happen to good people. When bad things happen to good people, we struggle with that. So, you may not want to hear what I've got to say today. But I feel that unless I spell this out to you, then I'll be in danger of misleading you or giving you false promises about the reality of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And I think some people have fallen prey to this kind of thinking that uh, nothing's ever going to go wrong for me. But as, and as I look around the wider scene, I see too many people falling away for too little, people disillusioned in church, battling with disappointment, starting out with great hopes and great expectations, but now angry with God and the church, or somebody from the church in any event. It's all too common. I don't know if you've Notice that at all. And I think this is a lot to do with a wrong understanding of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. And I don't think we've helped ourselves in this either sometimes. Uh, you know, perhaps we've made it too easy for people to think that they're Christians. Uh, we say, raise your hand, pray a prayer, go to church and you're a Christian. But this isn't what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. And so what we've ended up in I think in, in some places is, is a, a group of people who've been Christianized, people that have gained the culture and even the outward appearance of what it means to be a Christian, but have never had to count the cost or pay the price of what it means to be a disciple. I feel like a prophetic fire on this theme today. It's been an uncomfortable week for me. In fact, for the last few months, as I felt that it's important to address some of these issues. And so today, what, I, what I'm going to say might make you feel uncomfortable. If you want to leave now, then you can listen to it on the podcast later, maybe. But I can't apologize for it, because following Jesus means that we have to do what he says and do what he does. And he never makes it easy for us. And so my object today is not to condemn you, not to make you feel bad, not to make you feel uncomfortable even, but rather my heart is to equip you, to equip you, to strengthen you in your faith for whatever life throws at us, that we might grow to be a group of people who are resilient in their faith. And to give you some strategies as well for dealing with disappointment, Because whenever we believe something and it doesn't work out, there's disappointment to deal with. And I believe that, sincerely, that there's some healing for some people today from that disappointment. 
And I believe that there's some freedom for people as well to, to grow into a more robust faith. So, that's where we're going today. And nobody's left the room, so we're doing all right. So I'm just going to pray and commit this to God, because I, I really believe that this is one of those moments in God where it is going to make or break us as believers, that we're going to go to a new level of faith through facing some of these issues. So Lord Jesus, I just want to invite you to send your Holy Spirit now to awaken our hearts. Lord, I pray that you would enable us to pull back the curtains, perhaps of some wrong thinking or uh, some difficult subjects that we've avoided. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you'd give us grace to talk about these things in this community, to be genuinely authentic, to be able to talk about the hard times but not get disillusioned, to talk about the difficult things but not get disappointed, or even if we do get disappointed, that we can be honest about it and stand with one another. And Lord, I pray that you put in our hearts, put in our lives, a more resilient faith, a more robust understanding of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. For your glory. Amen. Amen. So, okay, I'm going to start with this. The gospel is good news. All right? The gospel is really, really good news. God loves us. God loves you. Jesus died for you. He laid down his life so that we can have life. That's the gospel, that we can have peace with God. We can have a guaranteed inheritance in heaven. We are eternally secure. That is the good news of the gospel. That's what Jesus came to bring. But Jesus never said that that was going to be easy. Jesus never said, uh, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and I will make you comfortable. (laughs) Jesus never said, follow me and you will never have a difficult day again. He never said, look, if you come and be my disciple, you're never going to suffer any kind of injustice, any kind of problems, any kind of struggles. He never said it. Actually, he often said the complete opposite. And at times it seemed that he was making being a disciple deliberately hard for people. At times it seems like he just plain discouraged people. He said, no, you're not in my group. You're just not one of my guys. He made it difficult. He wasn't willing to lower the bar for anyone to join him. You know, if he'd been a church leader today, I don't know what kind of church that would have been, but he wouldn't have been on the welcome team, okay? He just seemed to make the bar incredibly high because he wanted people to count the cost. His message was always radical and uncompromising. So what does discipleship look like, Jesus' style? So rather than me talk about it, let me tell you some of the things that he said and let's see what you feel about this. Um, Guys, some of the verses I'm going to look at today, you might want to print out and put on your fridge later, but I don't know if you will. Okay, but here we go. So here's the first one. We're starting off in John chapter 6. I'm actually going to open the Bible and read to you from the Bible. John chapter 6. This is great. It says here, I love this. Jesus says in John chapter 6, in verse 35, to everybody who was listening, I am the bread of life. I'm the bread of life. They loved that one. They loved that idea. It had all kind of implications of Moses, provision in the desert. He's just fed the 5,000. I'm the bread of life. Yeah, I can see that. I'd want to follow somebody like that. He says, I am the bread of life. He goes on in verse 41, that came down from heaven. Hold on a minute. I'm the bread of life that came down for heaven. That's not so easy. The Jews began to grumble about him. In verse 41 says, I'm the bread of life that came down from heaven. Hold on a minute. You're not come down from heaven. You're just Joseph's son, Joseph and Mary's son. Okay, so it's getting a bit more challenging. So Jesus then turns to them and challenges them and says, stop grumbling amongst yourselves. I've said this, stop grumbling about yourselves. That's verse 43. Can you see how it's getting harder now? And he goes on and he challenges their thinking about the Old Testament. Jesus, you could have just left it there. You could have just left it with a little challenge and then moved on a bit. And then he says in verse 53, just in case, they're starting to argue sharply amongst themselves right now. In verse 52, the Jews began to argue sharply. How can this man say these things? How can he give us his flesh to eat? Because they realize the implication of what he's saying. You've got to eat me. The bread of life means you've got to take me in. It means I'm the bare essential for your life. And they say, how can he say that? It's wrong. 
It's wrong. And so Jesus says in verse 53, I tell you the truth, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you will have no life in you. Boy, they... This is 60. On hearing it, many of his disciples say this is a hard teaching who can accept it. So not only is it the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the baddies that we all like to boo and hiss at, now it's his disciples that are struggling what he's saying what, with what he's saying. On hearing it, many of his disciples say it's a hard teaching. So verse 61, aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said, does this offend you? And then verse 67, he says to the twelve, do you want to leave me too now? It seems like Jesus doesn't even care that his disciples are struggling and they're going to leave him now. And then Peter, of course, famously turns and says, well, how can we leave? Who else can we turn to? You've got the words of life. Because there's been a revelation of who Jesus was in his heart. Jesus doesn't make it easy. He says some very, very hard things. Do you want to leave me? He invites them to leave him. And then here's another one in Luke chapter 14. We're just going to look at a whole load of verses quite quickly, not as long as that one. Verse 14, he challenges us to make some very hard choices. In verse 26, he says, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, his wife, his children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. That's pretty hard. That's pretty difficult. I'm not even going to teach into it and try and explain it. That's the bare facts of what Jesus says. You've got to prefer me. You've got to prefer me over everything. You've got to prefer me even over your own life. That's a pretty hard thing, some pretty hard choices. And then we see that Jesus requires us to make some incredible sacrifices. We've already read more than your own life. And then in verse 26, just in case you missed it, of Luke chapter 14, Jesus says... Uh, uh, just lost it. Luke 14. <laughs> 27 says that, and anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Anyone who doesn't carry his cross, now that doesn't mean wearing a nice gold cross around your neck or on your lapel. Or something like that. You've got to carry your cross. You've got to so identify with the crucified Lord that you carry your cross and that you're prepared to die for what Jesus has called you to do. That's pretty hard. And then in Romans 12, 1, Paul underlines this by saying, you've got to offer up your body as a living sacrifice. And then John chapter 16. Are you finding this really encouraging? John chapter 16. Here we go. Um, John chapter 16, verse 33. Jesus says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. Now, I put that one on the fridge. I like that one. I put it on the bathroom mirror, look at it every day. But hold on, the verse goes on. In this world you will have trouble. You're going to have peace in me, but in this world, you're going to have trouble. But take heart, I've overcome the world. Can you see it right there? You're going to have trouble, all right? Disciples of Jesus, there's going to be trouble. You're going to have peace, you can have the presence of God with you, but in this world, you're going to have trouble. You're not signing up for an easy life with Jesus. And then Luke chapter 10 And we love this passage. Luke chapter 10, it's all about sending out the, uh, the 72. It's all about the person of peace. We've done some teaching on that. But have do you noticed verse 3? He says, go, I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. Hold on a minute. I didn't realize that that was the deal. I thought I was just going to look for some nice peaceful people out there. No, Jesus says, I'm sending you out like lambs. And how about that? That's what Jesus is saying. When you're on mission, you may lose your life. You may suffer. You may go through hard times in serving me. He never says it's always going to be easy. Everything's always going to be there for you. That's what Jesus says. 
And then in John chapter 16, Luke, John chapter 16. It's actually hard, hard turning all these pages, isn't it? John chapter 16, verse 33. No, we've done that one. Uh, 15, 18. Oh yeah, it's up on the screen, isn't it? There you go. You can get to it quicker than me. I should have got other people to read this. He who hates me hates my father. That's pretty bad. Is that the one I was looking for? Uh, if hates me, and if I had not done, uh, blah, 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 blah. I, I'm actually looking for the one that says Jesus promises that the world is going to hate us, and I just can't see it right now. Fifteen eighteen. See, I can't actually see with these glasses. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. All right, so there you go. So Jesus tells us that the world is going to hate us and might even kill us. And then in Matthew chapter 10, which I'm not going to turn to, I've given up now. In Matthew chapter 10, Jesus tells us that we are entering a war zone. That that's what it's going to be like. Life is going to be war. It's going to be difficult. That's the gospel outworked in discipleship. Jesus says, we're going to have a rough time, people, and things are not going to always go according to plan. Did you know that when you accepted Jesus as your Lord and Saviour? So how have we got it so wrong? How have we drifted into the idea, how have we bought into the idea that becoming Christian means all our problems are sorted and that we're kind of going to drift through life on a cloud? You know, and why do people feel so justified in their disappointment with God when things get difficult or don't work out as we would like them to? How have we got to that place? How have we bought into the idea that living in the West and being relatively comfortable is equated with being a Christian? Because I don't think we'd think that if we lived in some other places in the world. Simon Holly uh, writes in his book, Sustainable Power, his theory is that it's because for many of us, especially living in the West, we live with a false sense of entitlement towards God. Let me just read you what he writes. He says this, he says, I used to base my whole life on the foundation that God owed me something. It led to disappointment, disillusionment and near suicidal thoughts. He said, then I had a revelation from the book of Romans which says, the wages of sin is death. That's what I'm owed. I deserve to die. I'm going to die and I deserve it and God owes me nothing. And he goes on to say, perhaps counterintuitively, I cannot tell you the freedom that I found in that truth. And you see, the truth is that for many of us, we've adopted the entitlement mindset, which says that being a Christian means that we're entitled to a quiet life without any trouble. And you might not have even voiced these thoughts, but despite what Jesus says, we've come to expect or even demand a materialistic paradise where we get everything we want. We get the house with the picket fence. We get the perfect partner with the perfect marriage. We get the car of our dreams and it never goes wrong. We never get sick. We never have any tears and we never have to deal with that awful thing called death. But Jesus says that these things will only be possible for us when one day we get to heaven and all our tears are wiped away. I I, I don't know, I mean... Perhaps you can identify some of these traits in yourself. I certainly can. But we have believed a lie that unravels when we're reminded of the full extent of our own sinfulness and depravity before God. And then we have to face that uncomfortable reality that we don't deserve anything except death. That's hard. That is hard. We're not owed anything because Jesus has already given us everything. (laughs) And so our sense of entitlement is based on a false foundation. 
So what does that mean for us? Does that mean that we shouldn't have any expectations, that we adopt a poverty mindset where difficulties and opposition still asks us to trust him and to have faith, even in the face of difficulty? Does that mean that we should just accept hardship and difficult circumstances, you know, kind of whatever will be, will be, that's the way it is? No, Jesus tells us to use the weapons of our warfare in prayer to bring down strongholds. So, okay, well, does it mean that we shouldn't do anything then to alleviate sickness or suffering, or maybe not even pray for the sick, because actually we don't deserve healing anyway? No, the Bible is full of commands to pray for the sick, care for the poor, and so on. It's just that we're not entitled to it. It's not entitlement that drives us or motivates us. God doesn't owe us anything, and so what that means is that every good thing we experience here on earth are not entitlements. They're not entitlements, but they're continual apportionments of his unending grace. (laughs) That every provision that comes our way is given as, as reminders, like kisses. That's how I think, like kisses from the Father of his love and his faithfulness. None of these things are what we are owed. Because actually grace means we don't get what we deserve. Death, separation from God. And this realization should fill our hearts with an overflow of thanks and praise for every good thing. For every day that we're healthy and pain-free. It's so good what Simon led us to earlier. Let's just have a moment where we just give thanks to God. We should give thanks to God for every day that we have food to eat and shelter for every friendship, for every financial provision and blessing. Our sense of entitlement, you see, in, in, the, in these things is what makes us prone to only remember these daily blessings when we've actually lost them. <laughs> Have you noticed that? How you, you notice how good it is to live pain-free only when you're having to live with pain. <laughs> you notice that? I never thanked God for those days of pain free, but now I'm every day saying, Lord, take away my pain. It's kind of the opposite. We mourn then what we lost and those days of grace. And so the antidote to entitlement is actually a thankful and a generous heart. Because you see, God does provide for us again and again. What we have, the Bible says, is given to us by a loving Heavenly Father who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. But as disciples of Jesus, we're instructed to hold these things lightly and not give in to a worldly spirit of entitlement leading to disappointment. Is that what's happened to you? Is that where you've been? Is that why you've got disappointed? So I just want us to stop for a moment and think about that. It's a massive question. Well, Lord, is that the way I've been looking at things? Is that the place that I've been motivated from when I prayed about things? Is that where I'm coming from right now? I want us to just deal with something. I feel like there's something that God wants to do amongst us as a community. And I know you might need more processing time. I like to think things through too. (laughs) But I feel the liveness of this message, that God wants to do something amongst us to deal with the spirit of entitlement in our hearts. And then I want us to go on to look at then how that becomes disappointment. I want to give you some strategies for that. So I I want to just ask us then to just come to God on it. Let's just pause for a moment. I don't know, shall we stand a moment? It just helps us to concentrate. We're just going to pray out together. I'm just going to give you the words to pray. They're not going to come up on the screen. I I should have done that. That would have been good, wouldn't it? But let me just read you uh, a portion at a time, and we'll pray this out together. Let's just deal with this entitlement. 
Okay, here we go. I'll pray the first bit and then you can repeat it back. Just like you did at Church of England years ago. Father, please forgive me. For the wrong thinking. That says I'm entitled to anything more than you've already done. Lord, you sent Jesus to deal with my sin. And that is enough for me. I repent of believing the lie of entitlement. And I say, now, God, you don't owe me anything. And I release you from any false contracts I have made with you. And I choose instead to live with a grateful heart. And I thank you for every good thing that you've allowed me. You have surrounded my life with your grace. Amen. Just turn to the person next to you and tell you one or two things that you're actually really grateful to God for. Now, can I just say in that that there is a sacrifice of prayer? Sometimes we have to say those things even in the midst of heartache and difficulty. So that might not be fully resolved, but I can say thank you to God for this. So just turn to the person next to you and just share something with them. Just try and be honest and open with them. Or is that too hard? Okay, the Bible says that if we confess our sins to one another and pray for one another, then we are healed. If we pray for one another, we're healed. So just put the hand on the person next to you that you've been talking to and just bless them. Just ask the Holy Spirit to fill them. Thank you, Lord. Just release your healing all over the room right now. Lord, just release your spirit amongst us, Father. We receive your grace afresh. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Amen. Mm. Well, please take your seats and we'll continue. Praise God. So uh, what I want us to see then, that entitlement is a route to and a route of disappointment. So if any of you has ever felt entitled, then you will have had to have deal, dealt with disappointment at some point in your life. And it feels something like this. Who hasn't said this? God, you let me down. <laughs> I said that at the <laughs> garage the other day. <laughs> So, Lord, you let me down there. You didn't do what I asked you to do. You didn't protect me like I thought you would. You didn't heal me when I wanted you to. You didn't answer me. You didn't intervene in my family. God, you know, I've been praying for my family for so many years, and you haven't done it. 
And as this continues, as these things build up, what that leads to is just a, a greater sense of disappointment with God. Guys, every one of us is in the same boat on this one. So don't anybody look and think, oh, I'm the only one. We have all struggled with this, all right? We've all struggled with this. So what I want to try and do is to give you a tool. I've done a a pentagon. Uh, I've drawn, well, Ruth actually did it for me. I didn't know how to. But we've got this pentagon for how to deal with disappointment. And and there are five steps to help you to remember these five steps that we we can walk through to walk away from disappointment. So here's step one. Number one is be honest with yourself. Be honest with yourself because the truth is, is that we have all been disappointed at some time or other. And actually, disappointment isn't just a a symptom of entitlement, but sometimes, certainly in my experience, it actually comes as a result of faith that's not found its answer. Disappointment comes as a result of faith. I believed you, God. I really did. I stepped out. I believed you, and it didn't happen. So the disappointment can even come from that risk of faith, because disappointment is where you've believed for something and not got it or hoped and it's not happened. And if you've never had any expectations, then how would you ever have got disappointed? Which, of course, is the reason why some believers choose not to take any steps of faith or to have any hopes anymore, because of disappointment after disappointment. So, first thing, we've all struggled with it. We've all struggled with disappointment, so let's get real and honest. And Because sometimes it's just that we're too well trained to ever express it. We're too good, we're too Christian to ever, ever get mad about anything or express any real emotion about how we feel, especially in front of another Christian. You wouldn't want them to think that of you. I remember years ago, it was about 10 years ago, so I'm giving it lots of time, so you don't, I don't deal with this anymore, I don't have this problem anymore. This is 10 years ago. So Simon Holly took me to one side and challenged me about uh, disappointment in a particular issue, and he pushed me on it, and he says, come on, it's time to get mad. It's time to get really cross about this. Express that. Honestly, I was too Christian to do so. And then in the end, he put his finger on it and said, ah, no, that's because primarily you're disappointed with yourself. So you've actually got to get mad with yourself, which, of course, I couldn't do at that point. But over the next few days and weeks, God just started working on my heart. And I realized I actually had some big issues that I need to work through with God. But sometimes we're just too good and too Christian to actually get mad and express our emotions and disappointment. I want to encourage you to find ways of expressing the reality of your disappointment to God about God. Express your feelings of frustration and pain. Don't worry, God is not going to be shocked when you do that, because he already knows about it. He already knows what's going on in your heart. He can read you like a book. He he created you. He knows your inwards and your outers. And if you read the book of Psalms, you can see many, many examples of the psalmist working through pain and disappointment. Be honest with the one who knows everything about you and lay it at his feet. That's step one. Step two, change your mind about it. Change your mind about it. See, with disappointment, uh, our focus is often on the problem that we've experienced and the shortfall as we perceive it in what God has failed to do. And I just love the illustration that Paul Norris used. And if you haven't heard his talk, you've got to hear it. It's brilliant. Um, He talked about how we need to learn to recognize the everyday miracles that often go unnoticed. And I'll just add in, especially when our focus is on disappointment. And so Paul used the illustration of the children of Israel. They grumbled in the desert about the heat. They grumbled about the food. They grumbled about their leaders. And pointed out that they'd missed the everyday blessing of the fact that their clothes never wore out. Now, I'm not convinced that would work for us, because I think we'd then complain that we weren't in fashion anymore. (laughs) But... 
the point was made, focusing on the everyday miracles. We need to choose to change our minds. Having got it all laid out on the floor, the disappointment that we're feeling, we now need to take a hard look at disappointment and decide to repent of our negative focus and choose instead to look beyond our disappointment for the everyday miracles of what God has done and magnify the good that God is and the good that he's done and thank him for that. And I think there's something about coming to that place where even in the face of defeat, even in the face of heartbreak and difficulty, we choose to praise him anyway. And it opens something in the spirit that makes the miraculous possible in the present. I found that time and time again is positioning yourself to receive good. You actually have to position yourself to receive his goodness in those times. So that's the second one. Thirdly, lay down your right to understand. This is the hardest one, I think. For me, this is the hardest one. It's another strand of entitlement, and it's based on the belief that we should be able to work out what's in God's mind when things don't go the way we think they should. We ought to be able to understand that somehow. Now, he ought to be accountable to us in some way. I mean, we've all read that text, haven't we? And we put it on our walls and our bathrooms and underlined it in our Bibles. that says, my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than yours and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. And yet when we face the impenetrable confusion that can sometimes be life, we don't think this verse applies to us. You know, it's the kind of verse you send somebody when they're going through a hard time, or you even quote it and pray it over them. But when it comes to me, I should somehow be able to understand this. So laying down that right to understand, for me, that is one of the hardest things. Because I want to solve the problem. I want to understand why. And God doesn't always tell us. Not straight away, anyway. You can look back sometimes 10, 20 years ago and say, ah, that's why. That's why you stopped that relationship. That's why that house move didn't go through. That's why that job didn't come through. You can only see it sometimes in retrospect because we can't see the bigness of God's plan in our lives. And there's a lie that says that I should or I must understand what God is doing in some way and that he's answerable to me and he must give a reason why bad things happen to good people. I'm sorry, guys, but it's got to be laid down. That right to know, that right to understand has to be laid down if we're going to deal with our disappointment. And it's this act of humility that's required, that sets us free. This right to hold God to our account must be released if we're ever going to trust him and be childlike in his presence again. Because children have this ability to accept the fact that they don't understand what mum and dad are doing. They don't understand why we're going here, why we're going there, why this hasn't happened. But they kind of rest in it. Have you lost your childlike status before your father? Things have got too complicated. Some of us have lost our joy in serving precisely because of this, that we've never laid down our right to understand. So put that down at his feet too. Be honest with yourself. Change your mind. Change your focus. Lay down the right to understand. Fourthly, simplify your theology. I could say so much about this one, but then I wouldn't be simplifying my theology. So I've cut this, I don't know how many times. (laughs) But whenever people face incurable illness and pain, whenever people face loss or suffering, whenever something bad happens... More often than not, you will face the question, why me? (laughs) Why us? Or others will point the finger and say, it's because of this. It's because of that. And before you know it, you've got yourself into all kinds of theological knots and confusion. Now, even the disciples were at it when one day they said to Jesus, who sinned, this man or his family, that this happened? They were trying to work it out, you know. Trying to understand, she said, you haven't a clue what you're talking about. I've just reread the book of Job. Guys, you should read that book. It's amazing. 
every single argument you can ever come up with for how God's let me down and why is in there. And how does the book end? Fearfully. (laughs) God comes, he says, you don't know what you're talking about. How dare you ruin my reputation with your small thoughts? That's the Rob Dave version. (laughs) I think that's quite good. I should write a book. Basically, none of you are right, he says, and none of you understand. So there you go. Accept it. None of you are right, and none of you are going to understand. So accept it. And there's an incredible release in that. It's God, I don't actually understand. And so here's my simplified theology. And it's to say this one thing which we all know, and it's true, and we can all say it, it's really easy to remember. God is always good. Sometimes life just sucks. That's my basic theology. You could add in God is always good, the devil is always bad. I don't even want to think about him because that confuses it too. But God is always good, but sometimes life just sucks. Should we say that together? Does that feel liberating? Okay, God is always good, but sometimes life just sucks. Amen. Praise the Lord. I think that should be the title of a book. Number five, number five is make yourself accountable. Because you see, when any of us go through hard times and face questions, there's always a temptation to run back round the opposite way of the Pentagon. And so we're tempted to return to a previous way of thinking and we get caught again in the trap of disappointment. Especially when things are still not clear. You've made some decisions to move on, but we still don't know why. Or if something like it happens again, we we go around it again. And we lie to ourselves for a bit. We think it's all great. And we say, I'm just trusting God, thinking inside. What are you doing, God? (laughs) Sorry, is this only me? I'm just feeling a bit vulnerable out here. We've all been through this, haven't we? Yeah, thank you. I see a hand. I see a hand. (laughs) But you see, we need each other. Turn to the person next to you and say, I need you in my life. We actually need each other. We need one another. We need community. God has placed us in community so we don't have to go through things on our own. We don't have to go through the bad things on our own. The number of times people have said to me, I don't know what I'd do if it wasn't for the church. I don't know what I'd do. Somebody shared a story with me about difficulty they were going through and then started to list the number of people that had called them, the number of people that had given meals from them, the number of people that had dropped in on them, the number of people that had offered to help. I don't know what I'd do without the church. And, you know, your friends may not be able to help you, okay? They may not have the answer for you, for your situation. Don't put that on them. If you're not going to work it out and God's not telling you, how do you expect them to know? Your friends might not know what to say. They may not understand. They might not even be able to truly emphasize because they've never been through it before. So don't say to them, you don't know what I'm going through. I've been in pastoral ministry long enough to know that one. <laughs> you haven't a clue? What I'm... No, I really don't have a clue. I'm so glad I'm not going through, but I love you. <laughs> I remember with Kevin and Margaret, and you've all heard their story now, so when I talk about them, you'll know. Sometimes I go and see them, I just didn't know what to say. And how dare you try to come up with some pat theology to that? How dare you even try it? What right? Have you got to to stand higher than them and say, oh, if you only did this, or if you believe that, or if you had this, there's something wrong in you, there's something wrong in your life, it's a curse on the family. All those things were said to them. How dare you? Often I'd just go and I'd sit and I'd say, I'm sorry, I don't know what to say. And I'd say that over and over again. I'd shake my head and say, I still don't know what to say, which is hard for me. I like to talk. And then oftentimes we, we just end in crying together, really. 
And so I did a bit of feedback with them afterwards, and they said, no, what you did was the right thing. I said, I'm so glad, because I just really didn't know what to do or say. I don't know what to say when good people suffer bad stuff. Most often or not, I just cry with them. Even if it's not external, it's internal. Breaks my heart. Don't understand. But we can all stand with people. See, the hardest thing when you're going through a a hard time is how many people withdraw from you. Because they don't know what to say and they don't know what to do, they just withdraw. That's the hardest thing. So the best thing you can do is go closer. Say, I'm prepared to go through this with you. I don't have a clue what to say, but I'm here. You call me any time, I'll be here. You need a meal, whatever, we're there for you. That's what living in community is about. That's why disciples need disciples, because we're all learning together. We can all stand with people, and we can also remind them of these helpful five steps. (laughs) You can just pull it out. I've got it on my phone ready. Just joking. I did actually write that down, but it seems a bit crass now. Um, Because, you see, the main thing is that we stand together and not try to give answers or make judgments. More often than not, we just need people who love us unconditionally and believe the best in us and for us. Anybody agree with me? Okay, right. Let's summarize. We've gone over. Sorry. But are you a disciple of Jesus? I want to ask you. Or are you just Christianized? This is straight. I'm saying this straight. Are you a disciple of Jesus? Are you counting the cost? Are you prepared to pay the cost of being a disciple of Jesus? Because there is a cost of of following Jesus. Or have you lost your radical edge? I'm not just being provocative for the sake of it. This is a serious question for you to think about. And maybe respond to. And get it right today if you need to. And say, God, I've lost my edge. I've just gone for comfort. I've not spoken up when I should have. I've not done stuff I should have done. The hardest thing with sin is not so much what we do, but what we don't do. The sins of omission, as they call it. The things that we should have done. Sometimes those are harder to see in ourselves. But at the same time, there's no harshness in my heart talking about this. I hope you didn't feel that it was at any time. But I know that there are people here that have faced some real disappointments, are really struggling with some things at the moment in their lives. And actually, can you take perverse encouragement from the fact that Jesus says all true disciples will face these things? So actually, rather than everything being peaceful, meaning I must be walking closely with God, I would question that and say, actually, if you're causing trouble, it's more likely that you're going to be having trouble. I remember um, 10 years ago, I went through the the hardest time I've ever been through in my life. And I don't know, I think I've never suffered anything like it before. And it was at that time God spoke this word to me and he said, from the book of Acts, that the apostles who'd just been beaten left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they'd been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name that is the most encouraging thing God said to me during that time I'm worthy you think I can handle this I'm worthy wow what an honour we need to give thanks to God don't we for the good that we do have and lay aside our sense of entitlement And contrary to what this feels like, even the thought of putting it aside, you kind of feel like, well, I'm going to be robbed from something. If I can't come to say, God, but you you owe me this, if you don't come in that spirit and and then I lay that down, somehow I feel like I'm going to lose something. You won't. You'll actually walk free. I want to encourage you to do that. And finally, bring your disappointment to God. Don't even blame anybody else. Because ultimately the blame always goes back to God. However, whoever else you is in the way or might be the... Ultimately, we're always ultimately blaming God. We might dress it up in more respectable clothing. 
But if things aren't working out for you, God is in charge of everything. So ultimately your complaint is with him. (laughs) Not with me, not with you, not with anybody else. Ultimately your complaint is with him. So deal with your disappointment starting today. We've run out of time really, but I'd love to... I don't know how to finish, uh, but I just feel like this is this is one of those messages that will change your life. Uh, this is a foundational word for many people here today. If we can deal with these things, we will grow a more resilient faith that will make us able to carry out the mission of Jesus in a way that we've never known before. So let's just stand together and perhaps I encourage you to best way to respond is perhaps to start with making yourself accountable. Say, look, do you mind if I meet up with you this week? I'd just like to process some of this and work around this. I realize that I've been dealing with some of this myself. Just find somebody that you trust, somebody you feel, a fellow disciple who can come on the journey with you and say, is that okay? Can we spend some time together this week? All right? So Holy Spirit, you've opened our hearts with your presence, and with your truth. Lord, I pray that we wouldn't just shut them and move on. I pray, Lord, that you would bring real healing and strength into our hearts at this point. And Lord, as we stand before you, I pray, Lord, that we would know a clarity about your heart of love for us. Lord, you love us, you love us, you love us. Sometimes you love us and let us go through hard stuff and we don't understand that, Lord, but we freely admit that we don't always know what's in your mind. But you are God and you are far above our thinking. Your plans are way more amazing than our plans. And Lord, we humble ourselves before you, mighty God, and declare that you are Lord of our lives, that you are Lord of this church that you are Lord over all the affairs of the world. We acknowledge that even though we don't fully understand it. And that's not just blind faith. It's actually looking at the reality of what you've said and then choosing to trust you. So, Lord, we do that. We just want to clear the ground and say, Lord, we're going to trust you. We want to stand on a more sure foundation. And I pray, Lord, over this week that we would find the ability to process emotion that we've buried and get some stuff out and get some stuff right in our hearts. Because, Lord, where the Spirit is, there is freedom. And, Lord, there's freedom here. You're offering freedom to us, and we want to take it with both hands. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Praise God.